Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking with author Lita McCullough Soletsky. She's the author of the new book, The Kneeling Man, My Father's Life as a Black Spy Who Witnessed the Assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. She's written for The Washington Post, The Atlantic, The Grio, The New York Times. What a fascinating woman. We have so much to talk about, but before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener funded and woman run visit patreon.com slash start me up to see the variety of tiers offered including the option to get two bonus what's up episodes per week kind of like my online journal where i get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind there's also an ad free tier with a much shorter intro just visit patreon.com slash start me up now please enjoy my conversation with lita mccullough seletsky Welcome to the show, Lita. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yay, finally. I mean, I'm just really happy to have you on because I've obviously I've been following you on Twitter. We just found out before we started the show that we lost our uh, I know I lost my blue check. So it's a gone. <laughs> all, those gone. <laughs> all those years are, you know, working so hard and now it's gone, but I will never pay him. So he can go F himself. And I concur. I'm not giving him <laughs> one cent. Not one. No, not one <laughs> cent. No way. No way. No way. Um, OK, I don't want to spend the day talking about Elon because then my blood pressure will go up and I just adore you. So I want to talk about you. I did say in the intro uh, we talked about or I talked about your new book and I mentioned some of the places where you've written. So we're going to get to all of that good stuff. But before we get into this show, I just want you to tell us about yourself. You know, let's let's get to know you a little bit. So obviously you're an author. I, I saw you said you were a lapsed litigator. So so what's your deal? Lita. <laughs> My deal <laughs> is that, yes, I um, was a litigator for around seven years. I graduated from law school back in 2002 and started hmm. off at a big law firm in D.C., went to the federal public defender's office, was um, an assistant federal public defender in D.C. for a little while, a very short while, actually, because I ended up meeting my husband there. We moved down to Texas, um, started practicing at a firm in Houston for a little while, and then had a couple of kids and uh, hmm. ended up leaving the law firm and taking a hiatus from law practice in 2010. And that is when the book idea first surfaced. Wow, that's interesting. So, all right. Now, um, do you have, is this your first book? It is. Okay. And it's called The Kneeling Man, My Father's Life as a Black Spy Who Witnessed the Assassination of Martin Luther King, L Luther King Jr., what a title. <laughs> uh <-huh>. Wow. So <laughs> There's a lot packed into that title. Yes. Yes. Now I have not read this book, um, but I really want to, and I, I've just been busy and I haven't had the time, but it sounds so fascinating. So tell us about the book, but first talk about the inspiration to write it and then tell us what we need to know about it. Yes. So the inspiration to write the book really came with the birth of my kids. And in particular, hmm. um, my, uh, second of three sons that I have. So I had uh, this child and I was home on maternity leave and I just started thinking about these ideas of legacy and, you know, in particular, what was I going to pass down uh, in, in the way of knowledge to my children about their grandfather, my mm -hmm. father? Um, what was I going to tell them about my father and um, 
the life that he led and, and his presence at the scene of Dr. King's assassination. And I, there was so little that I knew, and there was so much silence around it, and really a lot of dread on my part. And I just thought, you know, that's it's not right for me to to pass that down to these children. And mm-hmm. so that's when I had this thought that I need to find out what my dad's story is. And at the same time, I need to document it because it's bigger than just our family. This mm-hmm. is a puzzle piece of history. Mm-hmm. My dad has never publicly spoken about this other than, you know, I had to give some testimony before Congress in the 70s um, because there was an investigation into the assassination in Congress. But other than that, you know, my dad hasn't talked about it. There are a lot of unknown details. We need to find those out and we need to document them, whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. So what people need to understand about the book is, you know, the book tells the story behind this famous photograph that my father appears in, which is also on the cover of the book, where um, Dr. King has just been shot. He's uh, lying on his back on the uh, second floor balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, April 4th, 1968. Um, And then there are several people standing above Dr. King and they're all pointing in the direction from which the shot came. And then there's a man who's kneeling over Dr. King, holding a towel to Dr. King's wounded head. Mm -hmm. And that man is my father. Wow. The book tells the story of what happened, um, you know, around the time that that photograph was taken, what led these people to be on the balcony, or at least from my father's perspective, what put him there? Um, why was he there? What was he doing? Um, and what, what did he see and experience and what was the aftermath of that for him and for his family? Wow. That, that's just crazy. Now, what, what was it like for you to write this? I can only, I mean, I've written um, books before. I wrote a young adult book about um, basically first-time sex and abortion. Um, I based that on my own life, but the story was fictional. And so I know that when I was writing, it was just such a, an emotional roller coaster, not in a negative way at all, but just it was all so it was like this whole movie was playing through my head. So obviously with your book, it's not a book of fiction. So what was that? And it includes your father. What was it like emotionally to write about this? It was, I mean, at times it was excruciating, Um, you know, writing about it, opening all those um, old wounds, I would say, um, it was very emotional at times, but it was also um, so valuable, I think, just to, you know, get this information, mm-hmm. um, to get to know who my father really is as yeah. a person. You know, it's terrifying to me to think that, you know, I almost didn't do this. Hmm. Um, and it's not all sad. It's not all heavy. I mean, there are some definitely some moments of levity, some funny parts, um, you know, just like life is, it's not mm-hmm. all, you know, um, one, <laughs> you know, kind of tone, you know, there are many different, um, um, emotions in the book. There's humor, there's joy, but then of course there's also great tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process was, was, uh, definitely a roller coaster. <laughs> and, you know, it took me nearly seven years, I would wow. say, of research, of interviewing my father, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had to file a freedom of information act request to oh. get certain, um, FBI documents, 
you know, we traveled together. We met with Ambassador Andrew Young together in his home. He was another person who was on that balcony that day mm -hmm. um, that Dr. King was murdered. Um, you know, I met uh, one of the the leaders of the uh, black militant group that my father had infiltrated as an undercover police officer wow. and talked to him. So, I mean, it was really quite um, I know the word journey is used yeah. a lot, but this really did feel like a journey. <laughs> wow, that's so that's really fascinating. And I can only imagine what that whole process would be like. What what is it like to be the daughter of a black spy? Like, how did that shape who you are? That is something that I really had to think about and interrogate writing the book and then I learned so much about how my father's life really shaped my own mm -hmm. and my um my personality and the way that I move in the world in ways that I hadn't realized before I think that because of you know the the life that he led you know and and you know, when I was uh younger he, you know, he had moved on from the Memphis Police Department, and you know, as I learned in elementary school, he had gone on to a career as an officer at the Central Intelligence Agency. Mm -hmm. And so he told my brother and me that, and told us, wow, you know, essentially we couldn't tell anybody mm -hmm. that this was, you know, a secret, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and so I think that that made me very closed in certain ways. Mm -hmm. I was very careful about what I revealed to people. Mm -hmm. I had this thought in the back of my mind that, oh, you know, well, I wondered what exactly it was that he did. And then I wondered, like, so are, are they, is the CIA listening? Yeah, <laughs> right. I say? <laughs> like, are they watching us <laughs> right now? <laughs> so I think that it really did shape you know, the, the way that I related to people and it, it made me perhaps more reserved than I otherwise might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And I, and I, I said, I wrote, how does the daughter of a black spy shape who you are in my questions? I basically just got the black spy part from your um, title of your book, but I mean, anybody's father being a spy, you know, whatever color you are, um, that would be some hardcore stuff. And I can imagine. And the fact that you knew about it obviously is a big deal. That's a lot to ask. How old were you when you found out? I want to say 11. Wow. You know, I mean, I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I think about it in the context of my kids, because I've got three kids, you know, who are, well, they're 15, 13 and five, but hmm. I'm just thinking even like the 13 year old, you know, laying some information like that on him right. <laughs> is a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's the way it is. And what yeah. I've learned subsequently is, you know, there are a lot of people who've lived this experience that you would never guess. Mm -hmm. And it's just because they couldn't tell anybody you wouldn't know, you know, but it's not as uncommon as one might think. Hmm. So. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. Right. I mean, I've, you know, it's funny because we all have these interesting, crazy lives and, it may not seem so interesting while you're living it at the time, but when you look back, um, I, all of us have interesting moments. And but I mean, to say your dad was a CIA agent—that's a big effing deal. <laughs> you know, it's like wow. I know it sounds, <laughs> I, and, and I think 
you know, in a way, I've probably kind of compartmentalized it yeah. so it doesn't sound as wild to me as it <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, that is a lot. When I just look back and I think I put my kids in the shoes that I was in. Yeah. It is. It is. It's pretty heavy stuff. Yes. And so you said you were living in Memphis at that time. So um, is how long were you there? Well, so I w- had been there since I was three years old. So in uh, I want to say the early 1980s, my parents got divorced. They mm-hmm. got divorced after approximately five years of marriage. And so and at the time they were living in northern Virginia for my dad's job. And um, and that's where I was born. That's where uh, my brother mm-hmm. Micah was born. And so when my parents got divorced, my mom took the kids back to her hometown mm-hmm. uh, of Memphis. And so I grew up in Memphis. I mean, my formative years were spent there. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, I lived in Memphis from age three or so until until I graduated from high school. So, well, well that's kind of something we have in common. My parents were married for about five years. They uh, split up when I was three. And then when I was nine, my mom took me to California. So mm. not exactly the same, but some similarities there. Um Okay, so Tennessee. You lived in Tennessee. Yes. What are you making of this news coming out of Tennessee now? How how is that affecting you? And you know, I mean, watching what happened specifically with those lawmakers, but then, you know, there's the the what is he the um, oh, I guess, Speaker of the House, I guess, is having supposedly having an affair, and there's some drama going on there. But the, but the but the word coming out is that basically it's white supremacy and it's autocracy. So, oh, it most yeah. definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't assume that would be a surprising thing for you, but what is it like for you now to watch what's happening? It's deeply disturbing, to say the least. Um, I am so... <laughs> upset mm-hmm. I, it's it's awful I'm, I'm glad that it's in the national spotlight yeah um you know sunlight is a great disinfectant yeah. so i'm glad that there's plenty of coverage there's plenty of attention mm-hmm. um because what's happening there is awful and it's been awful mm-hmm. um and i think back to growing up in Memphis and just feeling like from an early age, I mean, I remember specifically in kindergarten <laughs> thinking I'm leaving here as wow. soon as I can. And, and you know, and, and, and I think about my five-year-old and what if he were thinking that way? And yeah. I just find that kind of upsetting, but I absolutely thought that way hmm. just because of, um, and, and you know, it's, it's very complicated because what I learned subsequently having moved to many different places is there, you know, you can't really run from, from, from these things. Um, at the same time, Tennessee is special. Yeah. Um, (laughs) as we can see, I think it's awful. Um, I just, you know, it makes me think back to certain things that I experienced growing up. Like I had a good friend, um, as a small child who was white and I would see her when I went to my aunt's house to play. And I just remember her coming outside. She lived next door to my aunt and she would come outside and she would sometimes wear this nightgown that was a gigantic, uh, Confederate flag. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) And we would just play. And I remember, I mean, I knew very well what the Confederate flag was, you know, I was probably like seven, (laughs) but it was just one of those things. That's just the way it was. Yeah. 
it's just one example of which I have many. But yeah, something's got to happen. It's not mm. a, a it's not a democratic situation that's no. happening. It's autocracy, as you said. It's fascism. Yeah. And something's got to be done. We need all hands on deck. And by the way, everybody can't leave. <laughs> like I left. That was <laughs> yeah. My, that was my personal solution. Right. But um, you know, we need good people everywhere fighting this stuff. Um, cause to me, it just seems like a contagion. It's, you know, these same kinds of things are happening in many different places and in places you wouldn't even expect, even in the Bay area, yeah. you can see certain things going down where it's like, Ooh, yeah. you know, this, this sounds like Tennessee a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's very distressing, but this it's, it's a wake up call to America. Do you think that, you know, you were talking about the sunlight is the best disinfectant and Gen Z is really showing up. You know, we, we, we saw them showing up at, at maybe before 2020, but I know they showed up in 2020. They absolutely showed up in 2022. They're making their voices known. I'm so happy. You know, I wrote this book called American Woman, the Pole Dance, Women in Voting, and it was basically for my younger self to, you know, who was not interested in politics because I didn't feel like I was threatened, you know, I mean, the abortion was available, I could get birth control pills, I, I felt as if, even though I, I believe I was, I was kind of right and wrong at the same time, but I mean, I, I felt that we were on this trajectory, that we would just continue to see more and more freedoms and things like that. I grew up on free to be you and me and Sesame Street. And these were the things I've talked about this on my show before, but that's what I thought was happening to the country. And then I obviously found out, no, that's not what's happening, but you get relaxed and you get comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you don't really show up. And now people are extremely uncomfortable and they are showing up. And as much as I wish that it, you know, we were preventative instead of reactive. Um, do you think that, and I, I always ask everyone this. So for the people who are listening going, why are you asking her the same question you ask everyone else? Because I like to get the gauge on what people are feeling. And I'm, I'm wondering if you think that this extremism that's happening right now is something that is going to benefit the uh, country in the long run because it's exposing it and it's, you know, we've got half the country doesn't vote. All these people are waking up to it. Or do you think it's something that is we're, we're going down a really negative place and it's going to get worse? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, you know, it's really hard to say. I mean, clearly the extremism is bad. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, in some ways the, the momentum is growing for these kinds of things. I mean, Roe v. Wade has been overturned, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. various other things are in the works. Um, at the same time, it certainly does feel like people are waking up to the threat. And as mm -hmm. you said, you know, people who might have been comfortable before are getting really uncomfortable. And so that's a good thing because, you know, now folks are starting to realize that all this stuff does affect them. You know, yeah. you might think that you're safe because you're not one of these people or you don't, you know, yeah. you're not in this group that's being persecuted. But what folks are starting to realize is, you know, when one person's freedom is threatened, everybody's mm -hmm. freedom is threatened. And so, and, and I also think that, um, 
even even these right wingers who are doing this are starting to get scared. They're starting to realize that they've overreached potentially. I just saw this uh, Washington Post um, headline, this tweet here um, that I will read. It says, "Exclusive: A top Republican legal strategist told a room full of GOP donors over the weekend that conservatives must band together to limit voting on college campuses, same-day voter registration, and automatic mailing of ballots to registered voters." So, to me, that's an example of them kind of starting to panic. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. now we know this has been their modus operandi right. for a long time, but the fact that they're now, you know kind of putting up the bat signal mm-hmm. like okay we got to stop these people <laughs> from voting <laughs> to me that shows that they know that uh these younger voters are being galvanized yeah. and that folks who perhaps haven't been as um uh i guess it, involved and engaged yeah. in politics are getting involved and engaged and they're trying to stop it yeah i mean in young people they all it's like four issues abortion climate college uh, loan um, forgiveness and then what's the other one? Oh, guns how could i forget yeah. um but those are the f- four big i mean there's obviously other things that are going on but those are the four big ones and they're huge and i mean mm-hmm. like you know i don't know your age i'm gonna be 55 in july so i feel like you know i grew up in a time where pff, we didn't have to worry about guns in school the only the only drills that I ever did, I lived in Southern California, so it was earthquake drills or fire drills, mm-hmm. and that was it. Mm-hmm. So um, young people today have a much more stressful time, and I believe there's been a couple of things that I've seen just you know online here and there talking about when their drills, some of these kids who are young don't know the difference, and they think that there's an active shooter in their school during a drill. So the stress that's being set up, and it's so personal, it's so upsetting what's happening but again i mean i i'm gonna go on the assumption that as horrible as it is i think it's it's kicking some of us who need to be kicked in the ass <laughs> you know mm-hmm, to yeah. get get <laughs> go vote get some stuff done and pay attention and you know the other thing that i'm gonna reiterate that i've also been talking about recently is david pepper he used to be like i think like a, the head of ohio democrats or something like that. he but he wrote a book called laboratories of autocracy and I've been seeing Chris Hayes specifically talking about the importance of, of local elections on MSNBC. And it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's been a couple of nights in a row where he focused on that. And I feel that it's so important because the Koch brothers have been doing that for a really long time. They were, well, one of the brothers is gone now, but still the Koch's uh, goal was to, you know, get to these smaller, you know, whether it was local elections, school boards, state houses and and all that while the democrats were just focusing on the big shiny elections and as we can see if if you are in a state that allows abortion the roe v wade doesn't affect you in the same way so these are extremely important and i hope that this message of you know these local local elections and state houses is getting out to the youth and i think it is because i'm seeing some of these people like victor she and olivia juliana they are they are extremely um, energetic. They're very good at messaging, and it's like fucking Victor. She is like, he's so young, but he has this old soul. He's he's brilliant, and he's yes. able to, you know, construct these tweets where so much information is just in a few characters, but it's really hard hitting. And you know, 
I just have to take the soapbox for one second because I want to ask you about a couple other things. But, you know, we, we always hear Democratic voters complaining about the Democratic Party, that they're not messaging correctly. But really, the partying, um, the partying, <laughs> the messaging doesn't always come from the party. So like the, the right wing messaging doesn't necessarily come from Mitch McConnell or Ted Cruz. It comes from Frank Luntz. It comes from these groups from, you know, the Koch brothers are funding who understand, you know, who, who test this stuff. And, you know, those are the people who are really getting that messaging through. And then, of course, people like Ted Cruz will, you know, reiterate it and amplify it. Um, but it's not coming necessarily from the party. And so we, I think on our side, we have these groups like Midas Touch, whether or not, and I just have to say, Avrant, whether or not I like them as individuals or individual groups, I do think that they are effective in crafting a message. And I think that we all have to t kind of take that on because the messaging usually doesn't come from the party. It comes from outside. And I think it's important that Democratic voters realize that we are all part of that messaging and not to just yell at the party because they're not getting it exactly the way we want it. So there, I'm getting off my soapbox. <laughs> no, but like I, th I think that we don't have the luxury to sit back and try to blame, right. you know, some institution or somebody over there for what's happening. Everybody needs to be involved mm -hmm. in some way. You know, I mean, this is, you know, a serious situation. Democracy really is under direct attack. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we it's, it, we're not done after we go to the polls, right. not by any means. Yeah. You know, and if we don't like something that's happening, if we think that, you know, um, there needs to be a message put out there. Well, guess what? We can do that. <laughs> like yeah. we have social media. We can talk to the people around. It's not even all social media, but like in the community, like actual yeah. human beings, you know, talking to people, canvassing, contacting yes. legislators, you know, um, there's so much that we can do. And um, it takes all of us to do that. We really need to be involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's our home. I mean, if, if you take it down to the simple, the simplicity of your house, when there's a leak in the house, when, you know, you may not want to have to deal with it, but you know, if you don't deal with the leak, it's going to turn into a bigger, bigger, more expensive problem in the future. So you want to nip that in the bud and that, you know, we have the bigger, more expensive problems happening right now. <laughs> and yes. we, we ignored the leaks <laughs> for a long time. But, the foundation. Um, yes. We need some foundation work. Yes, we absolutely do. Oh, my God. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, we have to take a quick break, but we will be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly, the host of the show you're listening to right now. Are you my patron over at patreon.com slash start me up? If you're not, just go there, check out the tiers and become my patron today. I'll be your best friend. I swear to God. Join me, 48 Hours Correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families. I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. Listen to My Life of Crime with Erin Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. Now, I want to, you wrote something in the GRIO. I, I'm going to reference a couple of articles that you've written, but they were in 2020, so I just want to let everyone know they're not recent, but it doesn't matter because what you write about is still going on. 
what was happening in 2020. So this first one was for the Griot. And you say the the title of the article is Black Women Are Enough and Deserve the Benefit of Doubt. Um, you say the pernicious blend of racism misog- uh, and misogyny black women face is every bit as destructive in the terms of morbidity and morality as the deadly virus ripping through the country. Now, this was August of 2020. So prevalent and deep-seated is the problem that the term misogynoir, conce- uh, misogynoir conceived by black feminist scholar Moya, um, I hope I say her name right, Moya Bailey in 2010, has gained wide usage and now appears in several dictionaries. So I just kind of want to like stop at this and talk about this for a while because obviously you're a black woman, you're a black feminist, and I'm so happy to see that you're out there thriving, but I can't imagine what it's like for you, especially having three sons and wondering what kind of world, you know, they're going to be growing up in and all of that. So I just want you to talk about this a little bit more and, and, and the deal with that black women are enough and deserve the, the benefit of the doubt. Right. Which, you know, I mean, the, the headline I didn't write. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, so, I mean, I honestly, to me, it's, it's, it's not so much that we should have, you know, the benefit of a doubt, but that, um, you know, we as black women are facing a unique, <laughs> uniquely toxic brand of discrimination that surfaces in so many insidious ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're constantly having to address and battle and, and it, it, it shows up everywhere. I mean, including at the highest levels Mm -hmm. of this nation's government, um, where, you know, you have, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I feel that, uh, one prominent example of a person who has faced misogynoir is our vice president, Kamala Harris. Yes. Um, and so I I wrote that piece because of what I was seeing, you know, at that time. But it, it is evergreen. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, as someone who has experienced this, who is experiencing this, um, it, it's it's only been recently that I was able to kind of look back over my life and unpack mm-hmm. some of these things that happened and how they did shape me how um how my confidence was undermined by mm-hmm. these things because of the subtle nature of the attacks and assaults on my person mm-hmm. <clears throat> on my intellect mm-hmm. on um who who I was and i just thought that it was important to give voice to this because so many people can relate to it and so, um, yeah, it's just if, if you are paying attention and you see what's happening in the news, just watch, watch how black women are treated. Mm-hmm. Watch how discussions about us are framed mm-hmm. and, and you can't miss it. I mean, um, gosh, there, there's so many prominent examples. Megan Mark, uh, Markle yeah. is another yeah. um, very prominent example of someone who has been. Um, experiencing intense misogynoir in the public eye. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's obviously I'm a white woman. And so I don't have the extra, um, I don't even know what you would call it, but I'm not black. So I don't have the discrimination. I haven't dealt with that. 
but what you just said, it really rings true with me because I've, in the past several years, I've kind of been on this spiritual journey as well as just, you know, the politics thing and how they collide is interesting. But I've, I've realized that here I am a feminist. I've always been a feminist. Not that I walk into a room and make that announcement all the time, but, you know, the point of view of, of a feminist. But I have realized that the patriarchal narratives that are just so pervasive in our society affected me and I fed into it. I fed into it in that I, and I still do, because I, I, I give myself such a hard time about my body and the way that I look because I'm six foot tall and I'm not as thin as I used to be. And when I was thin, I wasn't thin enough. And I, I always, I guess, cast myself in, or I, I looked at myself in the way that patriarchy looked at me and I would fall short. And I, and I feel like I fed the patriarchy by doing that. And, you know, and now I'm like, you know, I'm going to be 55 years old and I'm trying really hard to overcome these insecurities and these feelings. But I mean, being a black woman, being a woman of color, it's, you've got extra shit that you've got to deal with from what society is telling you. And I, I just, it, 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 you know, it keeps getting, you know, the, the layers and the layers and the layers because you could, you go down to a, a woman who is a black disabled woman is going to probably experience the most discrimination probably of anybody on the planet. And it's so crazy that in 2023, we don't seem to learn these lessons. And on top of it, we're kind of going backwards. And the idea that we have this amazing, incredibly smart black president uh, the backlash from all the good that he did is all of this stuff that we're seeing right now. And it's, it's like Donald Trump comes out and I'm not saying that he created this. Um, it was the, the party was the party. They, they, they might have realized they couldn't say certain things out loud before, but Trump came along and they're like, Oh, we could say it out loud again. We could say it out loud now. So mm -hmm. do you, do you think that with what's happening especially with this whole Trump phenomenon, do you think that, because there is this push-pull, there's the, there's the young people, there's women who are waking up, there's a lot of people waking up, but we've got these crazy Republicans who are like hell-bent on autocracy and everything. Do you think ultimately, I mean, is there, if you can make a prediction, do you, do you see what's going to win? You know, I, um, I don't make predictions, <laughs> but <laughs> I... Um, I think that ultimately, you know, taking the long view, good wins. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the truth always wins. Yeah. And I think there are philosophical and spiritual reasons behind that now. Hmm. Um, but it requires, uh, it does require the long view mm -hmm. to appreciate this and, and this battle for, for freedom, this, uh, and particularly among marginalized mm -hmm. people, you know, that, that, uh, we've mentioned, um, the struggle of marginalized people to get free, that has been and is the proving ground mm -hmm. of democracy. Yeah. Because if marginalized people aren't free, then we're not living in a, democracy. In a free manner, yeah. then we don't have a democracy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I do believe that, uh, truth wins, love wins, um, the good wins, 
but uh, it's not an instant thing. It's yeah. not going to be an instant gratification situation, and it requires everybody to fight, and nobody can be a spectator. Right. And you, nobody has the luxury of thinking, I'm not threatened by this oppressive thing that was done to those people over there because it is coming for you, Oof. as we can see very well right now. Yes, that is so true. And I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I think I think I agree. Um, I want to I want to get to there. There's two other things that I'm looking here at my notes. OK, my mind is just like going crazy. So I completely forgot where I was going with this. But I do want to bring up um, the Fox News Dominion case. Um, and what, why I want to bring this up is I want to ask you now. We've heard that. I think it's is it Smartmatic? Is that what it's called? Smart. I think so. so. I um, haven't followed it super closely. Yeah, yeah, well, there's. they said they were going to finish what Dominion started or something like that. So Lawrence O'Donnell basically has said, if you have been disappointed in the Dominion settlement, then you're looking at this wrong because Fox basically had to admit that they lied. And the way I look at it is I am disappointed, even though I love Lawrence O'Donnell, because they don't they basically just got a license to keep doing it their audience doesn't they're not going to have to apologize it's not even about apology i wish that they i had ethan Behrman on my show he's a lawyer on tuesday and he as we were talking this was all happening so of course like the show drops and they already decided on the settlement and he had said because we didn't know this but he had said as far as the acknowledging that they lied um could be part of a settlement and it could be like a month, right? Where every opinion show, at the start of every opinion show, that could be the demand is, you know, well, in order to settle, you get a certain amount of money and you also have to acknowledge that you lied every single night for a month. And of course, that didn't happen. And so it appears that Dominion was just interested in the money. And I've seen people say, you know, well, what were you expecting? They're a business. <laughs> what I was expecting is if the business is truly looking out for itself, which it it. it did in the short term because it got that money the long term is dominion unless dominion gets a nice little deal in a fascist world their business will fail <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> democracy is good for business and they just that, that why that's why it was so incredibly disappointing to me um and i'm you know I, i'm wondering if you think what you think about this dominion case if you're disappointed we don't know what's going to happen with the smart case if I'm saying it right maybe there might be some more I think it's 2.7 billion that they're suing for um, do you think that in the end with all of these lawsuits that Fox News is going to have to change their ways or do you think they're just going to keep going and you know destroying basically they, they're very destructive I don't know that they'll destroy democracy all on their own but they're a huge player of it Yes, they are. And um, I mean, I totally get why you're disappointed. I totally get why people are <laughs> upset, why they're disappointed. Um, I was not disappointed. Um, and now, with the caveat that I haven't followed this super closely, mm -hmm. but I've followed it, you know, just as, as a watcher of the news. Right. Um, you know, I don't know what's in that settlement agreement, uh, but my bottom line is that it needs to be uneconomic for mm -hmm. Fox News to continue to operate right. in the way that they've been operating. Yeah. You know, point blank period. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, even if they were required to give this statement saying that they had lied, like mm -hmm. on their show, 
I feel like folks are so far gone and so brainwashed and drinking the Kool-Aid mm-hmm. that it might it probably wouldn't even change a Fox viewer's mind. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. if they said on Fox that they had lied, they would continue to believe what they saw. I just don't think it would make that big of a difference. Um, what will make a difference to me is to make it uneconomic, yeah. to hit them in the pockets. Mm-hmm. And so if Fox keeps getting hit in the pockets and having to pay these multi, multi-million <laughs> dollar uh, settlements mm-hmm. um, and maybe even get some jury verdicts, who knows, mm-hmm. if that continues to chip away at their bottom line, they won't be able to continue. So to me, you know, as a pragmatist, mm-hmm. hit them in the pockets. <laughs> You're right. And, you're and right. I'm you've convinced with that. me. <laughs> you've convinced me. Although I still wish that they would go on air and, and admit it. But you're right because it would be very satisfying it to would me. Be. Right. But, but you know these people. Yeah. It's not. We're beyond logic yeah. now. You know. Yeah. <laughs> we're beyond like what makes sense. There's already enough evidence, and there are already am- uh, admissions that they lie. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed a lot of people's minds. Yeah. So I say go for the money because. I mean, it's sad to say, but it's money that talks the it's loudest. So true. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes, and ACDC wrote a song about it. So yes. <laughs> money talks. <laughs> but <were> yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, and then so now the last, and you're right, and I believe you've convinced me, even though I'm still going to be, because just, just Fox is just so disappointing, period. But y- yes, I, 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 I have been convinced. Um, now, the last thing I want to talk about, and I just real brief, um, I don't want to make this too much about me whining about Twitter and and I want to add in on the end of this the spoutable angle but um, Elon Musk was on Tucker Carlson last night and they discussed the urge to impregnate women and Musk blamed birth control and abortions to the impending collapse of civilization. Did you were you aware that our civilization civilization has collapsed? <laughs> I thought there were other reasons for this collapse, but okay. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, unbelievable. And and I look at this and I see what's happening with Twitter and it's not just the blue check situation. It's who he's letting on, what he's allowing to happen. My experience on Twitter is so different in that it's funny because when I go on the follow it's for the following and the for you, they're identical. When I hit following, I see tons of tweets from people that I'm not following and they're not retweets or something by somebody I am following. They're just straight up tweets coming up in my thread. I'm not following them. But then I switch over to for you and I get the same tweets. It's the same. And then I go, I scroll for, I don't know, maybe a minute and a half to two minutes. And then I go to refresh and it's the same one over again, as opposed to before a minute and a half or whatever. Oh my God, there'd be like 500 new tweets. And so now it's the, um, the way that this website works, it's, it's not the same. And the thing about Spoutable that I'm hopeful for, because right now Spoutable is not up to the uh, ease of use that Twitter is. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. Um, it's, you can't do as much on it. And there's not, although people are like, I know John Fugel saying went over to Spoutable today because he lost his blue check. So I think a lot of these um, notable public figures who don't want to, you know, be in a position where people are scammed out of their money by some scammer using their name or something like that. This is a place to go. It's going to take a while for things to get, you know, as easy. But the benefit of Spoutable is that the, the man who's running that site 
is a very moral and good man, and he is not putting up with the uh, racism. I guess he had put out, Boozy put out a statement the other day that I, it was neo-Nazis or something like that. A bunch of racist people went over to Spoutable and tried to set up accounts and, you know, say all that, but he got them. And that's because people on Spoutable reported them, and it worked exactly the way it should work. It should have worked on Twitter, and it's not working that way. And so I'm hopeful that Spoutable, whether it's Spoutable or another site, replaces Twitter but has that um, integrity and keeps people safe. And it seems to me that with a site like that, without the disinformation allowed, without all of the negativity and people spending so much time just fighting with each other, that we can actually accomplish positive things on social media that will help save democracy. And I just want to know what you're over there, and I want to know what your experience has been, even if it's limited on Spoutable so far. Well, first of all, I cannot say enough good things about Christopher Boozy. Yeah. That man, you know, the word genius gets thrown mm -hmm. around a yeah. lot. He actually is a genius. He is. <laughs> so he let is. me just say this. And not <laughs> only that, but like a good person yeah. a trustworthy person you know who uh founded bot sentinel which mm -hmm. has been invaluable in fighting disinformation misinformation and um uh, abuse on online and so i am so pleased to see <laughs> spoutable up um as a venue for mm -hmm. people to um to, to gather and and interact in a way that's just becoming less and less feasible on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Twitter, as we know, is in a death spiral. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, I mean, today's uh, news with the removal of check marks is just, you know, one piece of that. Mm -hmm. And what folks have got to realize, um, well, actually, let me back up because I don't want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Basically, I almost said something. I was like, well, I don't know if I want to say that right now. But um, <laughs> let me just say this. First off, I'm not paying that man no who's running Twitter way. one single cent no way. Um, to be there. And I think it's a mistake to do so because I think that's feeding into the terrible developments that are happening mm -hmm. and rewarding this, this person yeah. for those. I also um, think that um, while Spoutable is new, it's young, the trajectory is so great and 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 what it points out is that the value in twitter it's not the platform it's the people right it's the culture and it's the community and that these are portable things mm -hmm. and people are taking it over to spoutable yeah. and so i feel that the uh you know the sky is the limit over there yeah that, um <laughs> you know as more um capabilities uh come about you know and, and and there's more features on there it's just going to get better and better look at spoutable's trajectory and then look at twitter's trajectory and clearly <laughs> there's one winner and you know <laughs> as a person who i love you know i love to uh express myself on these different <laughs> platforms yeah. and you know i i hear this this argument that oh well you know we shouldn't cut and run on twitter but what you got to understand is that it's a loser's game to stay on yeah. this platform that is controlled by, you know, someone like Musk. Mm -hmm. You're not going to win. He holds the cards. Mm -hmm. Get out. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I, my account is there, but um, as far as where I'm investing, you know, wh where's my, my social media future? Yeah. 
it's not there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so true. Yes. And it's for me right now, it's tough because I am a social media manager and the Twitter uh, feeds that I'm working on are fairly built up and I built up the MSW one pretty much on my own. Um, but right now that's where all the action is. And so I have to stay there for that reason. But my intention this whole time, ever since I found out that he was going to buy Twitter was that I was going to use it to build other platforms. And I've already been in the position of losing a massive following on, on Facebook in 2018. And I, I've, you know, a lot of other people who are experiencing what they're experiencing today with it, they're not losing their audience, but they are losing, I think, reach and the, the, that jet, that check mark that basically told everybody you can trust this person is who they say they are. Um, that's gone. And I can imagine how that must feel to someone who's never had that happen. I lost everything. So I'm, I've already been there. I've already been through that mourning period. And I just feel like, all right, well, this is the, this is the world we live in. And everything you said about Spoutable is 100% correct and Boozy specifically. You know, it's so funny because I found him or, I, you know, the first time I became aware of him. I don't, do you know who Ryan Knight is? I know that name. He was he's proud socialist on Twitter and he he's just a grifter. You know, he started out really loving I think it was Elizabeth Warren and then he dropped Elizabeth Warren like a hot potato and he went for Bernie and now he's got a cross or not a cross a, a sickle what is the Russian sickle oh, thing? The hammer and sickle. <laughs> hammer and sickle oh, on okay. yeah. <laughs> and and he he's basically doing Putin's work for him. Um mm. you know, so but boozy and I had interact. He was on my show, and I was on his show, and things went sour very quickly when he when he basically turned and he became this far left agitator who uses the words duopoly all the time, and it drives me fucking nuts. Hmm. But anyway, so uh, Boozy <laughs> was exposing him as a fraud, and you know Boozy has that special way <laughs> of uh, like he's got that he- when he's on the show with me. Oh my god, he's just so super polite. And I mean, he's funny and all that, but he's so polite. But when he's on social media, it's like it's almost like an alter ego of himself because he's <laughs> just he can he can whack you down. So and he's so good at it. And he it's just devastating. Like, <laughs> it and is. I, love to see it. <laughs> I know it's like, woo! And, you know, and then he uses the oopsie doodle or something like that, which he has incorporated on Spoutable, which I think is freaking hilarious but um it's the best thing it is he's so funny and i just i love him so much and so it's it's like great that i knew i said if anybody's gonna do this it's gonna be boozy and he's doing it and i'm so proud of him and he's just watching him handle himself as this black man who started up this awesome social media site in black history month and watching him thrive is is really great you know i mean of all the things that are happening watching his success it it feels really good and hey i want to be a part of it in that i want to be on that platform and i want it to thrive and i just because i trust with that platform he said i will never sell it to anybody like elon musk If, if it ever comes down to me selling it it won't be one of these deals and as long as he's there i trust that we can have an experience that's really positive and wonderful it, and you can feel it like there's an immediate I think th- part of the reason there's an immediate difference is because it is not so populated with the conservatives and I think that it's fine I like I want conservatives to go over there um, I don't I don't want to have to spend too much time battling and blocking trolls 
but I think because right, it's not, it's certainly not an echo chamber because there are conservatives, but it's, I think once we're in the millions of people, it's going to start getting juicy. You know, it's like Twitter has the juice. And I think that's the only thing that's not on spoutable right now is the juice. And like that, when I say juice, I just mean like real hardcore debate and breaking news and all of that stuff. Once that stuff hits spoutable, I think it's just going to take off like crazy. So, um, well, it just requires all of us to get over there. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like democracy. Like it's, you know, this is not a spectator situation. Right. Like we need to get there. And, you know, I, I'm very excited. I feel like right now people are still, it's sort of like if you have a big night out and you know, there's, you're at a party and it starts to suck real bad, like fast. <laughs> and everybody's like, okay, where are we going next? Yeah, so right. Now people have gathered at the next place and it's awesome, but we're still waiting for people to get there. Yeah. Where everybody's still so kind of getting That's information. It. You know, we're starting to get our drinks <laughs> <laughs> and um i i believe and i have confidence it's gonna take off me too and it is taking off it is taking off yeah and he's doing yeah. really well so yay yay there's some good news there in a world filled with crazy news i mean it's just been crazy but i just want to say it's been such a joy talking to you you have such fantastic energy and i love that so i'm happy uh that you found some time to come on and talk to me and I hope that at some point you will return but before I let you go um tell everybody where to find you yes well um for a very limited time I believe <laughs> I'm on Twitter at La Soletsky which uh is one word um s-e-l-e-t-z-k-y and then i have the same handle on spoutable that's really where you should follow me because that's where i'm investing you know um i'm also uh with the same uh handle on mastodon you can find me there um and it's Mastodon Online, I believe, is my, um, I can't even remember the names of these little like right. servers. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's where I am. I'm on there as well. Um, I am on uh, Instagram at La underscore Soletsky. And then I have a website, LitaSoletsky.com, that um, I actually should probably update right now. <laughs> but there's still like the fundamental things. This is right. how you can actually send me a message. Um, <laughs> and so you can find me there as well. Very cool. And so I'm all, I'm not even going to mention uh, the bird anymore. So I am also on Spoutable, Kimberly Johnson, L-E-Y. Don't forget at the end of my name. My books are on Amazon, Lita. It was just so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.